This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Today and tomorrow, I want to share with you by way of teaching an understanding of the strategy of God for us as praying warriors. We have to understand that God has moved amongst us And God has designed for all of us that we should become prayer warriors. And today, I want to declare that I'm not looking upon you as simply men and women who pray. If you're seated here as just men and women who pray, then you are a candidate for graduation into becoming warriors who are intercessors who actually qualify to stand in the gap. You see, men pray every day. Men pray always. But there are those who pray and those who intercede. You may be like the widow who was begging and begging and begging the judge to hear her cry. And it took her a long time begging before the judge responded to her. Sometimes we're really like the man who stood afar off. Jesus spoke about him, and he says, look at that man. He says, the father will hear his cry, but he is crying from afar off because of his state. He was a man grappling with his sinful condition and he wanted to be set free. I like the stories that you presented to us about the widow and the prophet. I'm going to elaborate on that tomorrow because you asked a question, what is God saying to us? And you certainly opened it up to us in many respects, but I want to 
emphasize something, and that is that at every stage, the woman had a need. But she never had the need met until she found the prophet. It's very important. We're going to undress that. We're going to begin to do that today. In other words, what I'm saying to us <clears throat> is that for the most part, our prayers are focusing on our personal problems, on the social crisis that we face, the challenges of our own environment. I want to ask you this. Do your prayers provide answers? Are your prayers an exercise in futility? How do we really know how to pray? The real question is, what is prayer? Jesus identified this when he spoke to his disciples and spoke to those who were listening to him, recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Very interesting. Listen to what Jesus said. When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. It's a strategy. Then he went on and he shared another dimension to the strategy. He says, therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. But in this manner, this is how I want you to pray. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are strategies that we have to discover if we really want to become a warrior in prayer. And not just be like those who pray. If you want to graduate, what Jesus is saying first and foremost is that we've got to discover the strategic positioning, which means entering into the intimate presence of God. That's what he says. When you pray, he says, 
go into your room. When you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. We've got to discover the secret place. We've got to enter into the intimate presence of the living God so that we're not just praying, but that we become warriors in prayer. Then he says, there's another strategy that we have to observe. He says, when you are praying, don't be preoccupied with what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. Where is your shelter? He says there's a strategy for prayer warriors. He says you need to seek first kingdom of God. May your will be, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth. That is what must occupy your mind. Because, he says, if you seek first, and that word first means first and only, kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the things you've been praying about and struggling with and, and hoping for, he says you don't have to worry about those things because he says if you are in the kingdom and are praying for the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, that the rulership of God might dominate in your nation, then all those things shall be taken care of. I'm talking strategy now. I'm going to piece it out. There is another, another bit of strategy that Jesus helped us with. And I'm calling this discovering strategic authority. It's an authority that gives us confidence and makes the difference between crying out to God, pleading with God, hoping that God, and crying and weeping and uh, knowing that God. Paul explains it in this way. He says, you know, in Ephesians 4, we can look that up, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 12, he says, to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And he explains some ministries and offices. 
In other words, there's an authority in prayer that comes from becoming an officer. Working in the office and not just crying from afar. It may not ever have occurred to you But Adam and Eve never had to pray. Until they were kicked out of the presence of God. Adam and Eve simply lived in the presence of God and walked with God, uh, one verse says, in the cool of the evening. God spoke to Adam and Eve. God, on Adam understood the mind of the Lord. He never had to pray for anything. So one understanding of prayer can be defined like this. Prayer is an intimate experience that we have with God whereby we can unlock the mysteries of heaven in order to solve the mishaps on earth. The ultimate in prayer is actually first to enter into the presence of God in order to collaborate with him in solving the issues faced by us as a people who are facing the consequences of our own sinful disobedience. In other words, strategically, when we are entering into the sphere of effective praying and intercession, we've got to enter into his presence. You see, God's kingdom purpose is really to restore to us the ability to rule to restore to us the resources to manage and to restore to us the context within which to make it happen. In other words, the purpose of prayer is to establish God's rulership amongst men in order to restore his glory in the earth through nations. What I have discovered is that prayer is really a facility designed by God whereby you and I may interface with him in order to engage him in the affairs of life. Let me put it another way. Prayer 
is a divine channel available to men so that we may reach to God out of the realization of our own weaknesses, our own needs, and our own frustrations. In other words, we cannot touch God, reach God, by depending on our own human condition. We have to discover the channel. And God has designed it. We did not design the construct of praying. God did. In other words, our personal pains and our corporate crises must intersect with God's overarching purpose. Our needs and our frustrations will drive us to pray, but it is an awesome awareness of the purpose of God which guarantees us the answers. God then has a strategic plan for us. And that strategic plan involves the establishment of his kingdom within nations. See, nations are really a divine construct designed by God to fulfill his plan and his purpose to restore his kingdom in the earth. So our prayers must be aligned to the general purpose which governs every nation. And our prayers must be aligned to the specific purpose which he has designed for each nation. So we have to understand the general under, uh, purpose of nations, but we also need to understand what God has designed for the destiny of your own nation. Let's look at what Paul says is the general purpose of nations. In Acts 17, Verse 26 to 27, he says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope they might grope for him, find him, although he's not really far from each one of us. In other words, what God declared and decreed in Genesis 28, we need to grasp that 
God blessed them. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That is the general purpose. Number one, that is to inhabit. To in inhabit doesn't just mean to take up space. To inhabit means to acculturate. To inhabit means to build, to structure, to build a city, to structure a nation. But it also means to redeem men. That's how we, the, that's the end of our nation, the purpose of our nation, that men can be redeemed. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, And you have redeemed us unto God by your blood out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation. God has designed nations as an environment that will accommodate the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men might be reconciled back to the Father. And if your nation is not doing that, it needs prayer. And that's the direction of our praying. Timothy says, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? That they may lead, the people may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Why? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is a link between the first encounter of that woman with Elisha. And the prophetic declaration that she would have a son. And in all the stories, that event is linked to the declaration of the king in recognizing the awesomeness of the God of Elisha. I am pretty sure, I wasn't there, but the prophet saw in the declaration that you shall bear a son this time next year, he was not just preoccupied with the prayer and the cry of the woman. He realized that if this thing happened, even in the turbulence of life, even in the face of death, nothing would prevent the prophetic 
intention of God for that child and the answering of that prayer to meet with the crown of that nation and for that nation king to recognize the God of Elisha. You know, we may never have understood why God has established Zimbabwe. We were talking earlier, and uh, I discovered only today the meaning of Zimbabwe. Do you know the meaning of Zimbabwe? You know? Well, I'm glad you came. It's a, what is it? The nation, the house of stones. You have to understand the significance of stones and rocks. Go and study it in the scriptures. And a couple of days ago when I was going out to preach, I saw rocks upon rocks. I said, who put them there? And everywhere I drive, <laughs> it seems as if Zimbabwe is a nation of artistically constructed rocks which tell a story. I don't want to preach on that today. But why I'm saying that is because I am challenging us to do some research on Zimbabwe in order to discover the specific purpose of Zimbabwe in the design of God amongst the nations of this world. And I can guarantee you that it is linked with the story of being rocks upon which the kingdom of God is established. That is what God does for every nation. Let me give you some examples quickly. In the Bible, Assyria is referred to by God as my handiwork or my, a rod of my anger. In other words, God designed Assyria to become an instrument of correction. Cush was called swift messenger. Israel was called my servant or my firstborn. There's a reason. And today there is a whole movement amongst intercessors to study the giftings and the abilities of nations. And in their study they have come up with the notion that Canada is typified as a bond servant. The USA, <laughs> adventurous leader. Africa generally is characterized with spiritual authority. 
I'm telling you that. Germany, as obedient governor, my own country of Jamaica, we have studied it, and we have determined that the gifts of God for Jamaica is prophets. That's why you have Bob Marley. You think he's an entertainer? He's a prophet. I mean, he speaks and he sings prophetically. You think you're saying Bolt is just an athlete? When he opens his mouth is what he says. Ever heard of Marcus Garvey? I mean, Jamaicans, listen to me, big mouth. I'm here to declare the prophetic intention of God amongst my own people in Africa. That's who we are, naturally so. Some say we, are, we have the gift of hospitality. I want us to understand that in the Old Testament, God has built an elaborate structural system called the priesthood for priestly intercession at the altar of, in the, of the tabernacle and the temple. So Jesus reminds us, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. In the New Testament, the church is the intercessory agent between God and man in the world in order to destroy the works of the enemy. This is how we put it in Matthew 16. I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. My brothers and sisters, I want us to understand here today that we're not just men and women who pray. We're men and women who are positioned for prayer. Men and women who are given an authority to pray and men and women who are caught in the focus of the purpose of God in order to let his will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. And I suspect that we have seated here such persons. So if the target of our prayers is the nation, then we have to understand the condition of our nation. And if we understand the condition of our nation, then we must strategize to win it. First, through prayer. And if God 
answers our prayers for the nation, then we will have the supply of all that we need socially, economically, culturally, and politically if only we understand that God has structured nations to be the context within which all of this is supplied. So he says to us, if you will establish my kingdom in your nation, then God, through your nation, will supply the opportunity the setting, the circumstances, the businesses, the education, everything that is needed to answer the prayers that you have been bellowing out to God. I'm talking strategy now. All the things we've been praying for, God will answer. It took him 400 years. He said to Moses, Mo, come up. I want to talk with you about your people. He says, I have seen their distress. I have heard their cry. Now, 400 years of crying. Well, I want to just encourage you to help you to understand that there are four strategic offices which we want to talk about. I'll probably just get to talk about one of them today, hope I'll finish it, and then talk about the other three tomorrow. The first, <clears throat> is the office of the priest. The second is a prophetic office. The third is a princely office. And the fourth is the evangelistic office. What I want to do is to look at examples of priestly praying which brought answers. So let's just look for a while on the priestly office. It's an office of repentance, office of atonement, office of reconciliation. Some of us are priestly in our intercessory authority. And that's what we're preoccupied with. And that is really the first calling towards the changing of a nation, that you should come before Almighty God and pray repentance, atonement, and reconciliation. Nations have started gloriously with the highest ideals, but they gradually drift into an uncontrollable cycle of self-destruction. In other words, there is a reproach of sin that comes upon nations. I have a list of, I think, seven self-destructive nation or national sins. We don't have time to go through them, but idolatry, pride, 
hedonistic pleasure, material greed, injustice, inequity, systemic corruption. If you study these things in your own country, then you are preparing yourselves as priests because we have to come before Almighty God and bear the iniquity of our nation at the altar of God. You don't point a finger at anybody in the nation. You go before God and like the Levitical priests, you bear that iniquity and you carry the burden of the sins and the reproach of the people before God. You weep sacrificially, giving yourselves unto God on behalf of your nation. Look at the example of Moses. When Moses prayed for his people in Exodus chapter 32, spend some time on studying that. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God as a priest. He says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? God, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember, then Moses pleaded again with God, and he said, remember Abraham, remember Isaac, or remember Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your servants your descendants and they shall inherit it forever that's a priestly prayer that's a priestly posture so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Remarkable. Moses assumed a priestly posture, passion, and came before God on behalf of a sinful people that God had already said he's going to destroy them. But the empathy of the priest The concern for the name of the Lord God before the heathen nations made Moses appeal to the heart of God. That's a priest. And he appealed on the, on the ground of the covenant that God had made with his people. So he held God to his word. I'm talking about priestly compassion. 
priestly sacrificially offering himself before Almighty God on the altar of God on behalf of his own people. A people who themselves had stood against Moses, criticized Moses, wondering if they could return back to Egypt. But Moses was gripped with the compassion of the priest. I wonder if you are in that place, if you are in that position. I wish I could spend some time with you. You need to read 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and see how King Solomon, having built the temple, he took a priestly position. He wasn't a priest, but he went before God in the midst of his people and he cried out to God and offered sacrifices and pleaded with God on behalf of his people. He says if, if anything goes wrong, <clears throat> if we're going through any kind of natural disasters, if, if the enemy comes against us, whatever is happening, he is saying, God, hear the cry of a king who comes with a priestly compassion. And God responded. You know it very well. In chapter 7, and verse 14, he says, If my people are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Why? Because he heard the priestly prayer of Solomon. He says, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence upon my, my own people, he says, I will respond to the priestly prayer that comes on the altar of God. Today I want to call us to the office of priestly intercession. It will require that you enter into the presence of God and you will need to know that you're not there simply to pray for yourself. You are, in fact, there in order to bear the iniquity, the sins, the reproach of your own people from top to bottom. I want to suggest, Pastor Tom, that one of the things we can pray for is that the head of state in your own country would take up a posture like Solomon. It isn't hard, or is it? For a king, a president, a prime minister, the head of state, 
to stand before Almighty God in the midst of the congregation of his people and to appeal to God beyond the power of his own presidency, beyond the authority of his own exploits, to cry out to God and to say, God Almighty, my people, my people. That's what I heard when you mentioned Solomon. And when Solomon asked for wisdom, he, God blessed him because he was not looking for something for himself. He was not looking for wealth for himself. He was not looking for position for himself. He was not looking for promotion for himself. He was looking for the wisdom to manage his people. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Nations speak to nations. Religious bodies can't. They don't listen to you. But if you come as a holy nation, then you can speak to your nation. Peter says, coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I wonder if I can promote you today. In 1989, I, I had been praying for my own nation for, for years. We were part of a whole movement trying to save our nation. And uh, in the midst of the crime and in the midst of the corruption, the midst of the drugs and in the midst of all the cronyism, in the midst of the struggle of our nation, one night when I was before God, I got the news that the wife of a leading cricketer, if I called the name you would recognize, she was murdered. I knew him. And the thing broke me, and I cried out to God. And I said, God, we have been praying for your presence to come, that you would come down in our nation. We've been praying that things would change. Why do you not hear our prayers? God said to me, if I come down in answer to your prayers, I will judge your nation and I will destroy it. That's what he said. I'm just, this is a personal experience now. And the Lord spoke something in my own heart. 
he took me into the book of Deuteronomy and he showed me how sins must be removed from a nation. And then he says justice must be dispensed in your nation. He gave this example. He says, if a man is killed and his blood is shed in the earth, nobody knows who has done it. He says, you need to measure where that incident took place to the nearest town. And he says, the priests and the Levites closest to that town must come to the place of offense and make atonement unto God that God's judgment would not come upon that town. And he said to me, where there is no justice, there must be atonement. And I said, but I thought you made atonement already on the cross. And then he said something shocking to me. He says, in every generation, I want my priests to bear my cross before the people to make atonement for them. I didn't know what that meant. What do you mean carry the cross? And then a couple of days later I had to speak <clears throat> somewhere and I, I thought let me go back to Deuteronomy and I started to read again and the Lord spoke to me and he said to me I want you to take up the cross and to walk the nation in 1998 1989 and again in 1992 and again in 1995 I walked the length and breadth of my own nation carrying a cross along with my sons those are my sons and with the people I don't talk about this much in fact it's the first time I've ever put a photograph up there because when I hear about this it breaks me when we walked the length and breadth of our nation with a cross we never preached we just prayed and God led us to places of offense historically where there were rebellions one time he led us to a hillside where a man had slaughtered his wife and two children and I took the cross and climbed the hill and took it to that little cottage 
And I planted it. And we prayed for about an hour and a half that God would bring justice. He did. I remember when we actually started the journey, I had built the cross, I told nobody about it except six men that God said, they must walk with you. And I left the cross covered and it was Good Friday and we were having Good Friday services in our church. And somebody brought the news that early that morning, some thieves had broken into a church and had killed two of the elders. They were in there having a conference, a time together. When I heard that, I knew it was time to carry the cross. So happens that Dr. Miles Monroe was in Jamaica at the time. And uh, I went, I brought the cross. It's a nine-foot cross, big. It was built from the light pole. And I carried that thing, and I planted it in the midst of the blood stains, and I cried out to God. And made atonement and cried out for justice. They found the men. Why am I saying all of this? I think God wants to elevate us. He wants us to move from simply being people who are praying for our needs. to graduate first into priests who will take up the mantle of the priesthood on behalf of our nation. Your prayers for your own needs and the needs of your family, your own sickness, your own weaknesses, your own struggles, God will take care of them. If you take up the priestly mantle on behalf of your nation. Because the answers to all your needs are designed by God to come through the prosperity and the peace and the justice and the building of your nation. I wonder if today we could get some priests who will say, count me in. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the prophetic mantle, which is different. And then we will also talk about the princely mantle. And we will also talk about the evangelistic mantle. But today, can we be counted amongst the priests? If you're like that, then I want you just to stand. I want to bless you. I want to bring the anointing of God upon you. I want to declare for you the, the, the authority that comes with the priesthood. It is a hard position to take, 
It's one of self-sacrifice. It's one of humility. But you can only do it as you enter into the presence of God. And only priests can do that. Father, I present these your people before you in the name of Jesus. They've been praying, oh God, over the last few couple of weeks. They've been in fasting. They've committed themselves, oh God. And these who have selected to be with us this morning, oh Lord, we are declaring that they're not only men and women who have been praying, but they are men and women who have taken up the authority of the warrior spirit and the sacrificial passion of priests. I ask you, O oh God, that you would visit their own hearts and visit their own lives, O oh God. And like Isaiah, O oh Father, you would touch their lips and you would, you would cleanse their own hearts, O oh God. And that you would cause them in the name of Jesus to be anointed with the spirit of the priesthood. That they will stand in the gap that is left between their people and our God. I bless them. I release you the mighty, powerful, and the all-conquering name of Jesus Christ. And all God's priests say, Amen. and again, Amen. and again, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.